0: we've been talking for some time now about doing this episode of the imbalanced history of rock and roll this week it's the electric light orchestra in the beginning i'm ray koob
2: i'm marcus goldman
0: and once again we're talking about a band that we both love and came at from different angles because of when we plugged into them and how we enjoyed their music i guess you'd say
2: but we both enjoyed their music quite a bit, as did so many millions of other people around the world. Like you and I, people really were drawn to them, and the spaceships were one of the things on the album covers that really got me into ELO. Yes. <laughs> Yeah.
0: Well, long before they got into the spaceship thing, I got caught up on them because they were different in terms of how they employed classical feel inside of rock and roll. Just amazing. And I guess you could say that uh, their version of Rollover Beethoven back to the beginning really kind of was a blueprint of what they were going to do.
2: The fact that they were able to fuse Chuck Berry and Beethoven together was absolutely brilliant and whoever had the vision yeah i mean seriously whoever had the vision and the ear to say hey this will work that's what genius is
0: well let's talk about a couple guys who were key in that jeff lynn and roy wood the two main components they were part of a band that was called the move and a lot of people know of them but don't know much about them what is that Let's talk a little
2: bit about Jeff. Jeff Lynn is a Birmingham lad and really started uh, getting into music when he had heard the Beatles. Like most kids in Britain at that time, they got really, really fired up about the Beatles. He was born on December 30th, and that is the same day. Date, but not the same year his hero was born, and his hero is Del Shannon. He loved Del Shannon songs as a child, and because his sisters worshiped Elvis, he was like, I have to have a hero, a musical icon too, but I don't want to have the same one as my sisters. And ended up uh, starting to uh, play based on uh, what Del Shannon was doing. And then and you
0: can hear that. You can hear that in the music. And I never made that connection before, but you can definitely hear it.
2: And then he joined a band called the Andy Caps and then joined a band called the Chads. And then he was a founding member and principal songwriter for a band called the Idol Race, which was his first run in with Roy Wood. A little crazy story that goes with that is when he was about 15, 16 and and playing in these bands and playing live and making money his mom opened up one of his drawers and saw all the cash in his drawers and was like who are you stealing this money from and uh, he was like I'm not stealing the money mom I'm playing music and she's like you can't make this kind of money playing music <laughs> <laughs> you know mom you can
0: well you mentioned Roy Wood he also born in Birmingham it's worth noting that ELO was the latest band when they came along from Birmingham there was a long line of bands from Birmingham through the ages and they were one of the ones that continued to make people go oh they're from Birmingham Roy was also in other bands before he met up with Jeff his first band the Falcons early 60s till 1963 and then he became a member of jerry levine and the avengers Ooh, the avengers that was a popular name probably then right (laughs) he then moved on to mike sheridan and the night riders and that band later became the idol race which you mentioned so that's where the connection is made and he was an art student not surprisingly at mosley art college and he was expelled and i got a feeling (laughs) Our friend Annie Haslam told us he was a nutcase uh, when she was with him, and he's probably a nutcase then and still a nutcase today. The great Roy Wood in tandem with the great Jeff Lynne, what they are about to do by forming this band, The Move. Oh, man. And when I found out there was something before ELO, I had to go back and listen to it. It's raw. It's not what they were going to become. It wasn't polished at all. It was just them having an idea. And inside an era where all the youth were growing their hair, they were the long hairs, the serious musicians, invested in classic and rock and roll. And we already understand why in this episode of the Imbalance podcast, because they came from rock and roll, and then they got real invested in the classical side of things. And they laid the groundwork for what would be a rock and roll Hall of Fame band. In the beginning, the focus of this episode of The Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. Well, at least the first part, right? Yeah. Well, in the beginning, the move formed in December of 65, and they were the basis for what would become Electric Light Orchestra. They caught the attention of the Moody Blues manager, Tony Secunda, and he offered to manage them. That's where Bev Bevin comes in to join the new group, along with Carl Wayne. Now, getting in with Tony for the Moody Blues, that got him a weekly residence at the Marquee, and that's where they started to get everybody's attention, right? You play the marquee at that time and people were going to hear you and they were going to hear about you and that included denny cordell who's come up on the podcast before an independent record producer shelter records right yep and that usually leads around to the beginning of recording and that's what starts to happen the move starts to make records and i didn't realize that they made like four albums i always knew they had a couple records but not like
2: that yeah i thought they were one of those one or two album bands and then evolved into electric light orchestra i did not realize that they had four and the fourth record they were recording the same time that they recorded the very first ELO record so they were like double dipping
0: and what they learned from that first move album through to the beginning of ELO. Kind of like seasoned them for the studio. It gave them experience and understanding how to make things work in there, didn't
2: it? It did, and it really gave them a chance to expand the classical influence into the rock and roll sound that they were looking for.
1: It's a lesson too late for the learning yeah. Made a
3: sand. Oh, it's made of
1: sand In the wing of an eye My soul keeps on turning
2: And I think that's more what they were doing with Electric Light Orchestra versus uh, the move. You know, you hear the difference in the music when you listen to the move versus you listening to those first two ELO records.
3: Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win.
2: And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package.
3: And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month, so just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S.
2: Stark Differences
0: The funny thing is, they're both produced by Roy Wood and Jeff Lynne, At around the same time and it's all about the focus the way that they're focusing their energy on one project versus the other electric light orchestra starts to take on its own life i guess a question i have and maybe you can shed some light from your perspective is at this point what causes them to make a decision that one band's going to live and the other one's going to go away Is it just the reality of the business kicking in, or what do you think it might have been?
2: I think it it was the direction that ELO wanted to go in, and the vision of Roy and Jeff together, I think initially they had the same idea, but at the end it came down to how they were going to execute that vision, and I think that's where the differences appeared, but I think that they felt that they couldn't take the move into the direction they wanted to and had to do something completely new.
1: with
0: I'm looking at it and I see that that is very true the underlining factors are the songwriters and the lead vocalists on tracks between message from the country from the move and that first elo record very clear what changed but most people hadn't yet heard of this new thing this electric light orchestra yet marcus they were too new
2: and they were more of a studio or a garage band they were practicing and practicing and practicing before they played live and they did their first live show and really captured the audiences but it took them a while to get i think comfortable mixing the classical and the rock and roll sound and being able to be comfortable capturing it or playing it live in a way that the audience will be able to relate to it or feel it
0: think of the first album as laying out the ground rules and then the second record which is just called elo2 that's where we got the initials from kids That's the one where the spark hits. That's where you get rollover Beethoven done classical style, right? Yeah. And for the FM radio dudes, Guayama. This song, (laughs) 11 plus minutes. It's a definite bathroom break song in the middle of the night. Definitely in the old days of rock and roll. And one of my favorite songs they ever did. So they're starting to build a profile, Marcus. They truly are. Yeah. And as they head to the third album, which they cheekily call On the Third Day. Now, over the first two albums of Electric Light Orchestra, you see that Roy Wood begins to have less of a role in the band. He's more of a bass player, and they bring in other people on the strings. Mike Edwards and Mick Kaminsky, who'd be in the fold for a long time,
2: right? Yeah. They had uh, Colin Walker for the second album, the cellist, Wilfred Gibson on violin, Richard Tandy played keyboards, also bassist. That's where
0: Rich Tandy starts coming in. Yep. He, if you look at the chart of membership, he and Jeff Lynn are the two longest running members of the Electric Light Orchestra. Also, yeah. also, on the third day, a kid named Mark Bolin playing some guitar on Mama Bell.
2: How wild is that? yes
0: the streams are crossing don't cross the streams ray (laughs) but that's where the band starts to take off too
2: I believe that's where roy wood goes to form the wizard he formed the wizard after their second album
0: roy wood has continued to have his own adventures in creative endeavors through the decades now and of course there was that time that annie haslam told us about when they were a couple a couple of kids together in the world just trying to make their way and he helped to produce her music too i thought that was pretty cool annie in wonderland but his days as a partner with Jeff Lynn were gone for good. So if there really was any kind of wrestling for control inside the electric light orchestra portion of the program, I'd say Jeff Lynn emerged with the belt. And that meant that his songs and his vision were gonna be a lot more a part of the future for the band. And the lineup begins to get solidified richard tandy had come in bet bevin there from the beginning mm-hmm. and names like mike the albuquerque and mike edwards and mick kaminsky and on elo3 ted blight plays as well on the
2: cello Yeah, you know, they've changed a lot of members trying to find the right chemistry of band to do what jeff's vision is and After the first album, Roy Wood realized that ELO was Jeff's band. And if you listen to the difference in the songs, like I was listening back to all the way back to the first album. And if you listen to Look At Me Now, Roy Wood sings it, and it sounds more like a Beatles song. Whereas if you listen to 105.38 Overture, that is what ELO feels like they were going to roll into. That was the ELO sound right from the get-go. I feel like Jeff was a better songwriter overall. You hear the difference in their songs. While both are excellent songwriters, I feel like Jeff's a little bit better of a songwriter. And the way he did Roll Over Beethoven just really propelled the band. And then the third day, like you mentioned, Mark Boland playing guitar on Ma 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 Bell. And the song Showdown on the album was originally on the Harvest label, which was a label they had signed with early in the ELO days and recorded that song. So Harvest had the rights to it, and originally they were gonna release it as a single, but instead were able to put it on the album. And I think that song also shows what we were gonna get from ELO in the albums ahead. From the second to the third album, they shortened the lengths of the songs and made them more radio-friendly and poppier, but still didn't lose that classical vibe that they wanted to hold on to.
0: And Showdown turned out to be perfectly suited to be in a commercial for Michelob Ultra during a football commercial <laughs> this year. I'm listening to it, and I go, What? It's Jeff and E-L-O, working for Showdown. Yeah, I couldn't believe it when I heard that. I was like, okay. Everything's coming full circle with people using songs and commercials and all, but that's a long way coming, right?
2: I know, and I cannot believe that Jeff let him use that song in a commercial because he's always been very protective about using his music the right way. He never really was into that over-decadent 70s rock and roll lifestyle.
0: The thing is, these days, it's all about who owns the masters and the publishing and the rights and if for any reason he's not the one controlling those rights or even if he is well played it fits if it fits i don't care but it's the things where they really bend over backwards that kind of bother me having a whole lot of fun talking about elo in the beginning on this week's episode of the imbalance history of rock and roll you thirsty dude
2: i'm totally parched
0: that's <laughs> <laughs> it crooked eye and come back with more about Jeff Lynn and ELO, etc. on The Imbalance History. As we start a new year, Marcus, it's always good to have the things we know and love so much near at hand to help us as we forge forward, right?
2: Absolutely, and new beers and good beers from Crooked Eye are a great way to ring in and celebrate 2023.
0: I can see that you see where I'm going, bro.
2: Talking about Crooked
0: Eye Brewery in the heart of Hapro, you got to go in and hear the music, hear the band, feel the band, including the Crooked Eye Band every second Saturday. The brews, yes, but also the Salty Vets Barbecue. So delicious. Those fall off the bone ribs, everything. Matt's got this meatloaf thing he was working on the other night. I'm going in just to have a platter. You know what I'm saying?
2: I know what you're saying.
0: So now you can go in and enjoy the full package, including great music, which you always get when you go in. Follow them on Facebook and stay in touch that way and find out what the latest things that are going on, including the latest brews. I had a couple of those when I was in the other night.
2: Right in the heart of Hatboro Crooked Eye Brewery. And thank you for being a partner of the podcast, The Imbalance History of Rock and Roll.
0: Hey, folks, if you haven't checked out Boldfoot Socks yet, go to their website and do it today, boldfoot.com. And if you like what you see and you want to place an order, you can save 15% on us by entering the code HISTORY15 in the discount box. Now, Marcus, you've had some great personal experience wearing your Boldfoot socks.
2: That is correct, Ray. I am an active cyclist. After hearing Josh tell us about his experience running a race in the desert in his boldfoot socks. I had to give it a try on the bike, and they held really well. My feet didn't feel funky afterward, and after my spin class, my feet felt great. Not all wet and yucky.
0: Wet and yucky, bad. Feeling bold? Good. (laughs) Go to boldfoot.com and check out all the styles. And they've got a wide variety of styles, no matter what your mood is about your socks and uh, colors, designs. It all fits into what you want out of a sock that holds up. And they definitely give you that support you need. I know from the times I've worn mine.
2: Make sure you go to boldfoot.com and use the code HISTORY15 to get 15% off of your first order.
0: Look throw your feet be bold back for the second half talking about electric light orchestra in the beginning Dude, i got an update from the research department. That game wasn't just a football game. That Michelob ad that Showdown was in was the Super Bowl last year. That's why I remembered it. <laughs> you ever notice, though, that commercials that were in the Super Bowl, sometimes they don't run for a long time like they run the Super Bowl in a few weeks after. But 10 years later, you can hear one of those commercials or see them, and you're like, oh, I remember that. Yeah, <laughs>
2: totally. <laughs> so cool
0: anyway that's how our brains work and that's why we are the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll Ray Coop and Marcus Goldman together as always when we took the break we were talking about ELO and it was still the early days and right around this time is when I discovered them they were part of the soundtrack of my high school years and it was the release of the next album that kind of cemented that talking about 1974's El Dorado hey. from those opening notes, the ethereal sounds remind you of The Wizard of Oz, kind of a feeling going on there with the reverse vocals and all that stuff, right?
2: Definitely. And a very dreamy album. Yes. Like the characters keep disappearing into this dream world, and that seems to be the concept running through the album. And it fits. All this
0: is playing through the El Dorado Overture into the biggest hit they've had to date, can't get it out of my head
2: so good i remember this song coming out of the radio and being struck by the beauty of it can't get it out of my head just captured me right from the get-go and it was
0: like what is this right
2: yeah At that point, I didn't really know a lot about album culture or any of that, because I think I was like eight years old. It's like, ah, I got to listen to that. So I would listen to the radio more, hoping to hear songs like that. Right, that
0: Right, me too. It really got them on a lot of people's radar, and it was all over the radio that year and in years to come. So there's actually anticipation now. For the next album, which is called Face the Music, kind of an ironic yes, it's time we have to face the music because we had a big hit.
2: Yep, and what looks like an electric chair dons the cover. It's like, what are they gonna put you in the chair? Like, uh, time
0: to face the music, yep. man.
2: Back when this uh, old Sparky was <clears throat> still getting used in a lot of states, clockwork orange style, too. Face the music. The life, the joke that's
0: You gotta understand, this album was released right before the beginning of my senior year. So, all the songs, all the nuances, all the deep tracks were all part of every party you went to. Fire on High became everybody's favorite instrumental ever. (laughs) Evil Woman (laughs) took over top 40. They got on top 42 albums in a row. What the hell's going on out there?
2: that song is so good and every time i hear it today i still get goosebumps and excited
0: and if that wasn't enough for them then strange magic comes along and becomes a favorite both on top 40 and on album rock sailing softly
1: through the sun in a broad so high. I get a strange magic and water
0: Poker's getting played on the late-night radio thing as well. The world has turned on to the power of Electric Light Orchestra.
2: That spaceship is circling Earth.
0: Oh, and working on world domination too,
2: right? <laughs> totally.
0: Okay, so I graduate from high school and I go to college. In the first few weeks of college, I'm there and a new world record drops. I had it immediately in my collection and was one of the heavy rotation records through that first year.
2: This is the album that fully got me into ELO 100%. I remember getting this album and I remember playing it and just wearing the hell out of the grooves. Telephone line, tightrope, mission, all on side one. Yeah, but Great I did what songs. always
0: tell people to do, and I went and re-listened to the album in the correct order, not just ticking the hits, yeah. right? Just an amazing application of the orchestral rock format that they had been developing. And then, hello, telephone line, right? <sighs> Into rock aria and finishing side one, uh, mission, a world record kind of setting the tone this is what we're doing mm-hmm. and when you flip it over it doesn't stop kicking ass it's so fine in the living thing and do is in there yeah and they close with shangri-la which says guess what motherfuckers more is coming because we have further to go and that's where they are right there in the middle of the 70s one two three albums in a row bam they've done
2: it And Do Ya is one of the old move songs that they re-recorded as ELO. For
0: shits and giggles, right?
2: Yeah. But boy, did they rock the shit out of that one versus how the move did it. Listen to the two back to back. It's stark differences.
0: somewhere in that period of time the spaceships stop circling the earth and they land out of the blue kind of
2: and take over arenas all over the world stadiums all over the world take over the
0: world basically in 1977 <laughs> eight, and 8 well think about the songs a double album it's massive and the songs are again part of current culture as well, like Mr. Blue Sky, you'll hear that pop up in places all the time or in movies. Stone, Sweet Talking Woman, all these songs, but all the stuff in between the hits is also sweet, like Sweet as the Night or Birmingham Blues. This is a great album filled with amazing music. And really, when you think about it, Jeff Lynn at his peak, he's come off the one, two, threes, and here he is with a double album that is kicking the world in the ass
2: standing in the rain still one of my favorites from that album summer and lightning and mr blue sky all right there on side three just a power pack of a side and there seriously is not a bad song on this double album listen to it all the way through as we have talked about it, it takes time but do it it is worth it it is an album that i listen to regularly throughout the late 70s and early 80s
0: and what do you do when you've just conquered the world for an encore they did discovery and what happens on discovery is the core of jeff lynn bev bevan richard tandy and kelly grocut kind of like galvanize and and form a strong bond and they have their biggest head i think Don't bring me down. It's overplayed. It's fried. Whatever you want to apply in adjectives. But still, one of their best songs, right?
2: Absolutely, and they also released Last Train to London as a single, and I'm surprised that that one didn't pick up a little bit more, but I guess...
0: It's all that radio programmer stuff that goes on, and consultant stuff that goes on sometimes, too. Funny that you should say that, because one of the things that begins to emerge from Discovery Forward is, beyond the singles and the hits, or whatever you want to call them, there's some great music being made that's not getting exposed at radio, but the fans know about it. It fuels their long-term passions for electric light orchestra and keeps them going, really. And that means in 1980, working with Olivia Newton-John and in connection with the movie Xanadu.
2: I remember when they did the soundtrack, and as a fan of Olivia Newton-John and a lover of the Grease movie, I went to go see it. wasn't my cup of tea as far as movies go but the music was really really good
0: by this point by the way they're on jet records the same record label as ozzy osbourne if you're at the head of the the food chain there you're thinking back then man i've got two of the hottest bands in the world right now
2: don arden had a lot of power back then
0: july 1981 they released time it's their ninth album already they've been kicking them out man including a double it's the same lineup It doesn't really click, doesn't create hits, and neither does the next album, 1983 Secret Messages. It's kind of an indicator that maybe the winds of change are blowing in a different direction than they're going.
2: Do you remember in the 80s when people were freaking out about backmasking and all of that? Because Jeff Lynn did some backmasking on this album and the religious right and all of that.
0: (laughs) Hey, let me ask you something. Do you remember that quote you were talking about, about the spaceship?
2: I don't remember exactly who said it or the exact verbiage, but it's basically this. ELO was as good as the Beatles, except for all the fucking spaceships. (laughs) Wow. Well, they get away from the
0: spaceships at least for a while there in 83 and 86 uh, with the covers of um, secret messages and balance of power, but also the power's kind of gone out. The song Calling America is good. There's some other songs that are good. There's a lot of music that fans are digging, but it's not connecting out there.
2: No. And they recorded part of that album at Compass Point Studios in Nassau, Bahamas.
0: So the bottom line is, that's the last you're going to hear from Electric Light Orchestra for a long time, 15 years before they release their next album, 2001's Zoom. Zoom. here's the thing it's really a jeff lynn album it's all him and he's got richard tandy here and this one there oh and a couple guys named george harrison playing slide guitar on a long time gone and all she wanted And Ringo Starr doing the drums on Moment in Paradise and Easy Money. Unfortunately, you didn't have George and Ringo in the studio at the same time on any of those. But the beat carries on. And on this album is a young singer named Rosie Vela. She did backups with the band for a while and became Jeff's paramour along the way. That's what's going on in this time period for ELO. And then it's 14 more years. I think most people by the 20 teens had thought, that's it. We're never going to hear from these guys again. And back in 2015, now seven years ago, it doesn't seem that long ago, Jeff Lynn's ELO comes out. They come out with an album and a tour that really reinforced the fact that they liked the spaceship, right?
2: Yep, they still love that spaceship.
1: When <laughs> <laughs> dream all about the things i'd like to be soon as i was in my bed music played inside my head
0: when I was did you ever band. see electric light orchestra
2: i got to see them on their last tour when they stopped in philly i think in 2019 I wanted to see them a couple of times as a kid. They played McNichols Arena, which was the Denver Spectrum, and my parents would not take me to see ELO. I was so devastated. I don't know why. It would have been an incredible experience. Uh,
0: well, you still did better than me, man, because I miss seeing them then and wish I had.
2: I really hope that Jeff Lynne will take ELO out for one more jaunt on the road before he calls it quits. Because if you have not had a chance to see ELO, it would be great for everybody to have one more chance to see him. They were so good when I saw him in 2019. Well,
0: I guess in that regard, we have a lot of questions. Will there be more? More music? More touring? What's clear is that the fans will be there for it all. Because even when radio or MTV turned their back on the band, fans never did. These lads from Birmingham, They kind of kicked the world square in the ass, took a couple beatings, and like the city they come from, got up and returned the favor a few times themselves one thing i know and that is a band like the electric light orchestra was sent to us for a reason whatever force of the universe sent them here whatever spaceship dropped them off in seed pods and had them grow (laughs) to become a band that we could all love Um, whatever the forces of nature are that created it whatever nutcase had to get involved to get it done I'm sure fucking glad they did, because they have brought great joy, their music has, and they lied to countless millions for countless decades now. And yes, we know we could do a whole separate episode just about Jeff and the work he's done as a producer and as a member of the Traveling Wilburys, right?
2: His resume of music is so huge, we could easily cover a big, long episode about the life of Jeff Lynn.
0: But here... In the beginning
2: it's the electric
0: light orchestra or anything else you want to call it Yo those fuckers on a spaceship <laughs> yeah you want to call it that it's fine with us it's all good and we always hope for more
1: the universe grows smaller every day and the threat of aggression by any group anywhere can no longer be tolerated
0: and we hope that all the various faces and phases of ELO history are living well and healthy and uh, doing well here in the 21st century.
2: And please, if anybody in the ELO camp gets wind of this, do one more world tour. One more.
0: Or open a window because I had tacos for lunch. (laughs) till the next time that we get together and talk about some of the greatest music ever made that we all love or some of us do it varies from
2: episode to episode you know and it's purely subjective
0: that's why we love doing it thanks to our sponsors and uh, don't forget to be in touch through our email imbalancedhistory at gmail.com through our website or on our social media platforms and don't forget to call your mother till the next episode here in the dark doc studio I'm Ray Coob.
2: I'm Marcus Goldman.
0: This is the
2: imbalanced history of rock and roll.
3: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.